Let's turn in our Bibles to uh, John chapter 20. And as you're turning, let me quote Dr. Henry Morris. The bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the crowning proof of Christianity. If the resurrection did not take place, then Christianity is a false religion. If it did take place, then Christ is God, and the Christian faith is absolute truth. It is fitting that a supernatural person should enter and leave the earth in a supernatural way. This is, in fact, what the New Testament teaches, and the church believes his birth was natural, and his conception, however, that was supernatural. His death was natural. His resurrection was supernatural. Amen to that? Let's read this morning where Paul was reading the first 10 verses of John chapter 20. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb, and then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that would be John, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb, so that we would know that John is a faster runner than Peter. Why would he say that, you know? And he, stooping down, looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there and the handkerchief that had been around his head now laying with the linen clothes, but folded together in a place by itself. And then the other disciple came to the tomb first and went in, and he saw and believed. Now this verse here is where we're going to take off on this morning. For as yet they did not know the scriptures, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own home. Verse 9, for as yet they did not know the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. This morning I'd like you to turn, and I want to emphasize here that it doesn't say scriptures, but it's in a singular. What scripture was being referred to that they didn't understand. Whenever it mentions the scriptures, it's always a reference to the Old Testament. So, in the Old Testament, we have many scriptures, actually, that deal with the resurrection, but not one that might pertain to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. For instance, in the book of Job, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth, and though after my skins worm destroy this body, yet in my flesh I'm going to see God. Reference to the resurrection. Daniel chapter 12. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And, they, and those that are wise are going to shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. People that you have led to Christ and have ministered to uh, you're going to be the ones that um, really will be sharing in the, in the Lord's glory. In Psalm 16, this is David now writing. He says, therefore my heart is glad and 
my glory rejoices, my flesh also will rest in hope. And then he says, for thou will not leave my soul in hell, neither will thou suffer thy holy one to see corruption. Thou will show me the path of life, and in thy presence there's fullness of joy, and at thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now this one right here is recorded for us in Acts 2. And uh, Peter quotes it as um, a fulfillment of the Lord's resurrection. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 20, where Jesus himself talks about the resurrection. So let's turn our Bibles to Matthew 20 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the uh, pew in front of you or so that you can follow along with us this morning. John 20. Matthew 20, I'm sorry. And here he's speaking to his disciples, Matthew 20, beginning with verse 17. Then Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the disciples aside on the road, and he said to them, now, I can just see the Lord doing this. He's going to say something that's so profound about what's about to happen. And the guys just don't get it at all. He says, guys, come on over here. I want to tell you something. Come on over. So he pulls them aside And in verse 18 it says, Behold, we are going to Jerusalem, and a son of man is going to be betrayed to the chief priests, to the scribes, and they're going to condemn him to death, deliver him to the Gentiles, mock him and scourge him and crucify him. And then he says, And the third day they will rise again. Put yourself in the story. The Lord pulls you aside. He says, Guys, we're going to Jerusalem. And when they get there, they're going to beat me and crucify me. They're going to kill me. Then three days later, I'm going to go again. What would be your reaction? Well, here was the reaction to what Jesus just said to them. It was like this, right over the top of their head. The very next thing that they talk about is James and John, in verse 20, had put mom up to going ask Jesus a favor. So let's read it. In verse 21, the Lord says, well, what do you want? And then that's after this heavy declaration that he's going to die and rise again the third day. He says, well, we want you to grant my two sons that when you come into your kingdom, that's what they were expecting, I want um, John to be on one side. I'd like James to be on the other side. In other words, vice president and secretary of state in your kingdom. That's where their heads are at. Everything that the Lord had just told them, they had just not wanting to hear it. I like another Jew whose name is Paul Simon from Simon and Garfunkel. He wrote a song called The Boxer. He's got one of my favorite lines. Man hears what he wants to hear and disregards the rest. Isn't that a great line? And it's so true. They didn't hear. Why? Because they didn't want to hear. They had another plan. We want to rule and reign. The kingdom's coming. We want in on the action. And yet the Lord himself told them straight out, that's not what's going to happen. They just didn't want to hear that. Let's turn to John chapter 2 where Jesus tells us again, back to the Gospel of John. John 2, looking at verse 18. Here's another scripture where Jesus is now speaking to the, uh, the religious leaders because he had just 
cleaned house in the temple. He had turned over the tables and the money changers. And um, they asked Jesus a question because of what he was doing. And verse 18, so the Jews answered and said to him, what sign do you show us since you do these things? What, who do you think you are? And Jesus said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I'm going to raise it up. Then the Jews said, well, it's taken 46 years to build the temple, and you're going to raise it in three days? I don't think so. But he was speaking, of course, of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said to them, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had said. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. And this is interesting, verse 24. But Jesus did not commit himself to them. Why? Because he knew all men, and he had no need that anyone should testify of him. And then he says, for he knew what was in men. He knew he could tell men exactly what was going to happen, and they would still be seeking their own position. He would tell them exactly what's going to take place, and they still wouldn't get it. Uh, Yesterday, we were in men's prayer, and um, we happened to be in Isaiah. And what is in all men that the Lord was talking about? It's hard to read because it's painfully true. Isaiah 64, verse 6 says, but we are all like an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness is just like filthy rags. That's the polite verbiage for that here. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And then in the verse before it, it says this, and we need to be saved. So I want to ask you this Resurrection Sunday. Here it is, 2015. I can't believe it's another one. We're talking about it in the, in the prayer room. We're still here. <laughs> Who would have thunk, 2015, I would have, that we're still here. And um, are you saved? You know, the only reason the Lord is as patient as he is, he's not willing that any should perish. He's allowing this stuff to go on. He's allowing us to see what's taking place in the world. But the question is, are you saved? Is your name put in the book of life? I've often said, I don't want to walk out of this house. I don't want to walk across the street and get in my car unless I know my name's put in the book of life. Somebody want to say amen to that? I want to know for sure. That was my dad's big question in life. How can anybody be sure that they're going to heaven? And I've told this story a hundred times, so let's make it 101. <laughs> Dad was a church-going, godly guy that Everybody loved in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. And um, he was a barber. He was a successful businessman. He had the franchise for uh, Wick Homes. Uh, He was in real estate, and he had a lot of things going on. And everybody knew him. Everybody loved him. And uh, Dad and I argued for two years after I got saved. And we couldn't couldn't talk because I said, Dad, you got to be born again. Even putting the 20 bucks to go to church every Sunday, put it in, put it in a plate and, and show up. But Lord, Dad, and, and we would argue, and it didn't turn out well. I had a lot of zeal and no knowledge. And um, besides, sons don't tell their fathers. Fathers tell their sons. Amen? So anyway, he made a wrong phone call one day. Got a born-again Baptist minister on the other end of the phone. 
Dad said, sorry, I got the wrong number. And the Baptist minister said, oh, no, you didn't. And over the period of a week, he came over to our house every single night, and he reasoned it out with my dad. And he says, okay, I got one question. How can I know for sure? And he says, Larry, 1 John 5, verse 13. These things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. That's on his gravestone today. Also on the gravestone is, this is what he wanted, a sinner saved by grace. And he knows that he's in heaven. That's not my notes. Where was I? I got to get back to where we were. (laughs) Oh, he knew what was in all men. It's a hard thing to admit. There's nothing good in me. Nothing good in you. I don't like to hear that. Got to be something good somewhere. But Jesus knew it was in all men. And even when he he would tell them the the deepest uh, things about what was going to take place, because they were concerned with their own ends and their own means. Well, let's go to the scripture where Jesus clearly points out if there's one scripture. uh, Verse 9 of John 20 says, they did not yet know the scripture, singular. And I'll show you the one that I think it is this morning. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12, uh, picking it up in verse 38. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him and said, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and he said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, this is timely because we're going to connect it with current events. Then the men of Nineveh will rise in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The only scripture that Jesus refers to about himself and the resurrection is this one here besides what he told his disciples. But he points back to the Old Testament. And um, let's turn this morning to the book of Jonah. If you're not sure where it is, it's on page 914. So that'll help you find it. Book of Jonah. The year is 760 B.C., And uh, it's only four chapters long. Let me break it down for you, a quick overview. Uh, The first two chapters, one and two, is going to deal with the great sea, the Mediterranean. He's going to go to Joppa. Joppa is just a beautiful, beautiful place uh, just south of uh, Tel Aviv, for those of you who have been there. And um, chapter one, if I would sum it up in in, uh, three words, they would be, I won't go. That's chapter one. Chapter two, I will go. He's persuaded. Chapter three and four does not deal with the sea, but the great city, and that would be Nineveh. Um, Just to get your attention a little bit today, we know it today as Mosul, uh, the area that ISIS just took over. 
all of a sudden I think the study might have gotten just a little bit more interesting. So hang in there. Um, the great city, chapter 3 is, okay, I'm here. The Lord finally got him there. And in chapter 4, okay, I shouldn't have come. That would have been Jonah's attitude. Okay, I'm here, but chapter 4 is, I wish I wouldn't have. Let's look at the first four verses as we look at the book of Jonah this morning. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittah, saying, Arise, and I want you to go to Nineveh, that great city, and I want you to cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into, the, uh, into it to go with them to Tarshish and to run from the presence of the Lord. Well, the question is, <clears throat> how do you run from the Lord? How does one run from the Lord? I had a guy witness to me in 1970 in Galveston. His name was Rick Manuel. Everywhere I went, he was there. He was on the beach, he was in a restaurant, couldn't get rid of this guy. He'd always tell me about Jesus, this and Jesus that. And we were, we were on spring break, we were not interested. So we come back, and then six months later, my good friend David Warby, who is my best friend in, in, uh, in Oshkosh growing up as a kid, we decided to hitch down to this uh, rock festival. It was the second Woodstock. Uh, George Harrison was supposed to be there. George never showed up, but we did. And um, here it is, six months later, and I'm in a different state. And this Rick Manuel guy, he used to drive around in a white van. And I was paranoid of white vans. And so we, we were hitchhiking, we pulled into this gas station, and there was a white van there. And I thought, no way. It's just, no way. But I had to find out. So I went into the, the gas station, and I looked, and sure enough, there was Rick Manuel. And I went up to him, and I said, you're Rick Manuel. And he says, yeah, who are you? <laughs> and I says, well, you're the guy that told me about Jesus six months earlier in a different state, and what's your point? Well, you can run, but you can't hide, Jonah. Dwight, you can run, but you can't hide. And that might be you, you this morning. People have been telling you about the Lord for years and years and years and years. Well, let me tell you something. You can run, but you can't hide. Somebody want to say amen to that? This is what David has to say about it in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I go from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to hell, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, that's what Jonah was trying to do. Even there your hand will lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. You can run, but you cannot hide. And so we find in the first four verses here, that's what Jonah was trying to do. So what happens, and I'll summarize from verse uh, 4 to 17, they get in a ship, and the Lord allows this great storm to come. And these seasoned sailors are freaking out. They're lighting Uh, They're taking all the cargo and throwing it overboard, trying to lighten up the ship. And they said, everybody call upon your God. And Jonah's down in the hull of the boat, just snoring away. And they went and he says, wake up and cry to your God. And then he said, well, this is is all happening because, you know, God told me to go to Nineveh 
and I'm going to Tarshish instead. And he says, all, what you need to do is, is throw me overboard and everything will be okay. He said, we can't do that. So they kept trying to lighten the ship up and it couldn't, wasn't working. So the last thing they did is they threw Jonah over and let's pick it up, oh, verse 15. So they picked up Jonah and they threw him into the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows. Wow. That was the problem. And then we read, then the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. If you'd asked the average person today, do you believe that there was really a fish that Jonah lived in for three days? They'd probably say no, right? What about you? Do you believe there really was a fish that Jonah lived in for three days? Absolutely. Why? Because Jesus uses it as the very proof of his resurrection. As Jonah was three days and three nights, and that was what we read verse 17, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, and Jesus quotes it as a sign, and the only sign he's going to give him is this book. Which brings me to the question, how important is this book? You know, my common sense tells me it's foolish to believe that man can live inside a fish for three days. And yet clearly, um, the idea is the Lord's trying to get uh, Jonah's attention through all this. And so I'm putting myself in this story. I'm thinking, I haven't even hit the water yet. And I'm saying, I'm sorry, Lord, I will go now. (laughs) Not Jonah. This guy is stubborn. You've heard, and uh, he was, you've, you've heard the terminology, a stiff-necked Jew. Well, Jonah was really stubborn, and he was really stiff-necked. And um, then Jonah prayed uh, the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. When? <laughs> After three days. I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. In other words, how did God get Jonah's attention? Well, like he does with most of us, by breaking us, by causing something to happen in your life that uh, out of your affliction, you finally call out to him. Uh, We read in Psalm 119, verse 67, before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I have kept your word. I have a question. How many have heard God's calling? maybe into ministry, or to do a deed for a neighbor, and you've heard it, and um, instead of obeying, you're off to Tarshish. And you've been wrestling with this thing for years and years and years. The Lord is able to bring circumstances. Look at uh, verse 9. Pick it up in verse 8. When it says uh, in 7, when my soul fainted within me, when I was, we would say, when I was at the end of my rope, I couldn't turn anywhere else. I said, okay, Lord, I'll turn to you. And then he prayed. And uh, he says, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercies. But I will sacrifice to you, and I will pay the vow that I had vowed. He says, Lord, do you want me to go to um, Nineveh? I'll go to Nineveh. 
Now this to me, I sure hope I get to see someday because it says the Lord spoke to the fish and spit them out on the land. Hey fish, yes Lord, (laughs) spit them out. Uh, I wonder what you look like after three days being inside of a fish. Um, He had to be blotches from the acid inside. I'm just guessing, I don't know, but I bet he was quite a sight to see. As it says now, as we pick it up, I see grace all over the first couple of verses of, of uh, chapter three. But I hope I get to see this someday when the Lord speaks to the fish and he sort of <laughs> spits them out. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. I want you to think on that. The second time. God spoke to him once, he said no. Now he speaks to him a second time. Our God is a God of second chances. Maybe you're sitting here this morning. You need a second chance at life. You need a second chance to get it right. And I got some good news for you. Our God is a God of mercy, and he's willing to give you a second chance, and yes, a third and a fourth if you need it. He arose and he went to Nineveh, that great city, and he preached the message. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceeding great city Three days' journey just to get around it. Imagine that. I imagine if you think of the Fox Cities, um, we're talking something that big where it would take you, if you walked all the way around it, it would take you three days to pull it off. And uh, here's Nona. Nona? <laughs> here's Jonah looking like he just got out of the belly of a, a whale for three days. Quite a prophet. He did have a message of hope. He says, you guys are toast in in 40 days. God's going to wipe you out. There's no message of grace here. But the people from verse 5 to verse 9 tells us from the king on down, they put on sackcloth and ashes, and everybody followed the king's example and repented. Now remember I said that Nineveh is modern-day Mosul. Why did Jonah hate the Ninevites so much? Guys, put up the picture now, if you can, of, um, of what the Ninevites were like. And um, I'm particularly interested in the one where it shows, I had to be careful with, with choosing the graphics here, but it's the one where they are taking people's heads off in, in forms of execution. Can you find it? There it is right there. I, I tried to find one that wasn't too graphic. But I want you to know that everything is coming around full circle. In Mary's update, and uh, this, uh, I might as well throw this in here too. Um, Put up the next one, why did ISIS destroy the tomb of Jonah? This happened last year, July 28th um, of last year. And the title reads, why did ISIS destroy the tomb of Jonah? And why did not, why did Jonah hate the Ninevites so much? Have we found it yet, guys? Oh, yeah, there it is. And um, they're trying to destroy, ISIS is trying to destroy everything that's Christian. And here was a monument that had been around for years and years and years and years. And you're following the news, you're reading what's happened, but the reason that Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh is because they're ISIS. They're just like ISIS. They're just as brutal. And yet God wanted to show compassion. Not necessarily we're going to get to the heart of this in just a bit. They were ripe for judgment. But 
From the king on down, they repent. You know, our country's in big trouble today. I think our, our country not only does not have leadership, but we certainly don't have a president who's calling us to repent. Somebody want to say amen to that? He's not. There is a vacuum. Uh, we are in big trouble because we've turned our back on Israel. And God said, I'll bless those who bless you, but I'll curse those who curse you. God had had enough with the Ninevites. And yet, they repented because the king repented. Oh, that our king would repent of the things that are going on in our country. I looked up the numbers yesterday. Since Roe v. Wade in 1973, 55,777,000 babies have been murdered in our country. And you're following the breaking news, and I can get sidetracked talking about the, uh, um, uh, the homosexual agenda and how radical they've become, especially to this pizza guy's place in uh, Indiana. I, I like how the Lord turns the table on us. Uh, the, um, the activist uh, gay community were successful. Everybody hear the story? Raise your hand if you're following me. Okay. So if you haven't, basically what they did is they refused to cater pizza. <laughs> Who has pizza at their wedding reception? And they just said, we don't do caterings. But they made a big deal out of it, and they drove the guy out of business, him and his wife. Well, what's happened in the last couple days, uh, um, Gordon was telling us yesterday in men's prayer, he brought us an update of uh, what, what was happening. Christians started responding, and he started sending money to the, this, this guy. Uh, as of yesterday, it was up to $800,000, and by the weekend, they're going to be millionaires. <laughs> <laughs> and give away their pizza all they want to. Maybe we'll go into catering business, I don't know. There was, um, the, the scriptures are clear about the sin of homosexuality, but it's also clear on uh, j- just as much of a sin as fornication or adultery. They're no different. They're just sins. They're sexual sins. And uh, we're, they were simply believers standing upon the word of God and um, those were the consequences. My point is, our country, I mean, when I was growing up as a kid, I didn't even know what a homosexual was. And now there's a TV program out there that's promoting it, and uh, we're allowing people to uh, kill our babies at an unprecedented rate. What's your point, Dwight? We're ripe for judgment, and God is just being merciful. We're no different than uh, the Ninevites were at that time. But verse 10, let me get back to the study. Then God saw their their works, and they turned from their evil ways, and God relented from the disaster, and he said he would bring upon them, and he didn't do it. So here is the greatest revival that the world has ever known. There, There has never been one recorded where everybody got saved. And this is going to last uh, for exactly 100 years. They're going to backslide. And when you read the book of Nahum, which is uh, exactly 100 years later, the judgment comes back because they backslid. But during this period of time, there's a revival, and they're saved. All right, let's finish up chapter 4. And here we see the nature of a crabby prophet and the nature of a loving God. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. Well, those people getting saved, man. (laughs) 
And so he prayed to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, was, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled from the, your presence to Tarshish. I knew this was going to happen. I knew, I knew that you were a merciful God, that you were gracious, that you're slow to anger, you're abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents from doing harm. Now we read in the New Testament, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. If they wouldn't have repented, Nineveh would have been destroyed. Um, but he's long-suffering towards us, and he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants to work through you, but more importantly, Christian, friend, let me tell you this morning, God wants to work in you so that he can work through you. He wanted Jonah to represent his mercy and grace and love and actually be glad that the Ninevites got saved. Now, I'll be honest with you. If I'm in his shoes and I'm looking at ISIS today, I don't know if I want those people to be saved. But you know what? If they would repent and come to Christ, then they could be. Even with all the terrible things they've done, yeah, even with all the terrible things they've done. For a moment, just for a moment, personally, Think of the worst thing you've ever done. Now I want you to tell it to the person you're sitting next to. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Not that one. I don't want them to know that one. (laughs) Yeah, well, uh, Coburn line, everybody wants to see justice done on somebody else. Oh yeah, we want justice, but we want it on somebody else. We want mercy, but go get those bad guys. Are they worthy of of hell and damnation? Well, they most certainly are. They're brutal. The most brutal things that we've seen in in our country is happening on the other side of the world. 200 Christians singled out. Are you a Muslim or are you a Christian? Okay, you're a Christian, you're gonna die. You're gonna cut your head off. That's what's happening. And yet the Lord said, if they repent, then he will forgive them. So he's gotta work on Jonah. J. Vernon McGee has a one-liner on this. God is going to speak to win Jonah over to his viewpoint. How does he do that? Well, we read, he says, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city, and he, he sat on the east side, and there he made himself a shelter, and he sat under it until, mid, until night, uh, until he might see what would become of the city. And uh, the Lord God prepared a plant and it um, came up over Jonah that it might shade him from his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But the morning dawned the next day, and then God prepared a worm. And so to damage the plant, and it withered, and it happened when the sun arose that God prepared an east wind. The sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint, and then he wanted to die And he said, it's better for me to die than to live. But he got Jonah's attention. Remember, God wants to work in you more importantly than working through you. He's working in Jonah right now. And he says, the Lord said to Jonah, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he says, you betcha it's it's right for me to be angry, even to death. But the Lord said, Jonah, you have, you, you have pity on a plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night? 
And should not I, this is the last verse of the book, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city which are more than 120,000 persons who can't tell their right hand from their left hand. The judgment that he was concerned with when it says uh, 120,000 here, there was more than that. He's talking about the children. He says, aren't you going to pity even a child, Jonah? 120,000 of them. They don't know their ABCs. They don't know their right hand from their left hand. And I'm going to have pity on them because they did repent. Well, let's make our way to the Gospel of John and we'll start to wind things up this morning. John chapter 21. John 21. Today is Resurrection Sunday. Jesus said, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will be three, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Good Friday, we remembered the Lord's death. Thief on the cross went with him to paradise, which is called Abraham's bosom, and they were there for three days. And um, when he arose from the dead, we find that he stayed and he told his disciples to go meet him up in Galilee. And so they're waiting. So if you look at chapter 21, it just tells us that there's seven of the disciples that were there, and they're waiting. And they basically, the first part of it here is, they got tired of waiting. The Lord says, go up to Galilee, stay there, I'm going to meet you there. But in the process, Peter especially needed a second chance. Maybe you're here this morning and you need a second chance. And, uh, or maybe on the other hand, you've been waiting like I have, and I'm saying, Lord, another Easter, it's 2015, would you please come? And so while they're waiting, Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. Everybody says, yep, we're going to go fishing too, if you are, Peter. And uh, Peter went fishing, because he liked the fish, number one. (laughs) But that was his old life. He was going back to what he used to do, and everybody was following along. And all of a sudden, um, they didn't catch anything, and and, uh, the Lord is standing on the shore, but they don't know it's the Lord. And uh, they ask what every fisherman gets asked. Hey, have you caught anything? In verse 5. And uh, they said, no, not a thing. He says, well, why don't you try throwing your nets over on the other side of the boat and you'll find some. Well, at this point, the lights are starting to come on. And they do so, and they catch uh, a great amount of fish, so large number, 153. Here's one of my questions. I have no idea what that is in the Bible for. A lot of speculation. Why tell us? But the the net didn't break, and by the time they bring it all to shore, the Lord's got breakfast already made for him. And after breakfast, and they settle down, he says, Peter, come on over. Pick it up in verse 15. He says, Peter, son of who? Son of Jonah, interesting. Do you love me more than these? And he says, well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, well, if you really love me, then this is what I want you to do. I don't want you to go back to your old ways. 
I want you to feed my lambs. I want you to give people the word of God. And lambs are baby Christians. And in 1 Peter 2, verse 2, it says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word so that you can grow. The only thing that's going to satisfy after you're born again is feeding on this book. So you want to say amen to that? This satisfies. It'll satisfy your soul. Well, Peter is in a restoration form just like he was with Jonah. Simon Peter, son of Jonah. And then he asked him a second time. And he says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So he said to him, then I want you to take care of my sheep. I don't want you to be just self-centered about a position, but I actually want you to be more concerned about somebody else besides yourself. The third time, he said, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Now, this grieved Peter because he asked him three times, and he was, he was connecting the dots. Lord, I know I let you down. I know that uh, I said I would never leave you, that I would never forsake you, and when you were needed the most, I denied you three times. I get, get it, Lord, why you're asking me these three times. Do you love me? And uh, he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now let's take it a step deeper so that you can see what's going on here and why it grieved him. Peter's accusation to the Lord was, Lord, you don't know me. I would never let you down. I'm Rocky. Remember, you called me Rocky, Peter? And um, I would never let you down. So he says, do you love me more than these? What was he looking at? He's looking at the fish. Do you love me, Peter, more than what you used to do? Are you getting tired of waiting? Are you thinking about going back to your old ways? Do you love me more than your old life? Or maybe he was looking at the disciples. Do you love me more than these guys? You said you did. They say they would all forsake you, but you never would. But it gets a little bit deeper here because the terminology that's being used in the Greek with the word for love is, um, Peter, do you agape me? And, um, you know, I'm not going to go there because that's really going to make my study go way past my time. <laughs> get, the, get the tape on that one, okay? Thank you. I'm glad you're listening. My point is that Peter finally had to admit that the Lord knew him better than he did. And now we have in verse 19, after these things, he told Peter what, what was going to happen to him and how he was going to die. And he says the second time, Peter, follow me. Easter Sunday, 2015. I don't know if you need a second chance. I don't, need, I don't know if you need that time for the Lord. He can tell you that I'll give you that second chance but I want you to prioritize this book. Feed the sheep. Teach the people the word of God. Uh, Let it be a part of your daily life. Because of Good Friday, you can look back and not be afraid, but because of Easter, you can look ahead and not be afraid. Amen? I'll read one story in closing about, uh, about 
uh, a French mathematician named uh, Augustus Comet. He was talking about religion one day with, with a Scottish friend named Thomas Carl. And Comet suggested the idea that they might want to start a new religion to replace Christianity based on positive thinking and mathematical principles. That's a great idea. Uh, he thought about it for a moment, and then he replied, very good, Mr. Comet, very good. All you'll need to do will be to speak as never a man spoke, to live as never a man lived, and be crucified and rise again the third day, and get the world to believe that you're still alive, then your religion will have a chance to go. It's been 2,000 years. The gospel has not changed. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the heart of the gospel is Resurrection Sunday. Amen? Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for Mary's update. Lord, as we see the stage being set once again, um, I pray for those, myself included, who are um, maybe just tired of waiting and wanting you to come. We want you to come. And yet, Lord, we know you still love Ninevites. We know that there's a revival taking place in Iran even as I speak. And so, Lord, we pray for those, and we pray for ourselves, and for that one this morning that might need an, a second chance at, at life, a second chance to get it right, Lord, let them know that you're merciful, and you're gracious, and you're long-suffering, and you're patient, and you're more than willing to, as you did with Jonah, call him a second time. You're more than willing, like Peter, and told him a second time to follow me. If that applies to any this morning, Lord, I pray that you just nudge their heart and call them to yourself. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.